Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner Holman. What am I paying attention to today? How we can come at the same thing from such different perspectives. Sometimes it can be something simple like that proverbial glass of water that's got some liquid in it. Some people see it as half full, some people see it as half empty. But sometimes it's the lens that we're looking through or the perspective from which we're looking at something. At the holidays on our dining room table, we had some candles and my dad took a picture of the candle flame on one of these candles looking through the goblet, like the wine glass part of his wine glass. So he took a picture of the flame through the wine glass and it gave it such an interesting look. As we go into this third year of the pandemic, can y'all believe it? Oh my goodness. And all the different ways in which we see things differently. I am being reminded of how sometimes just by shifting our perspective, we can see things anew, which brings me to my guest for today. I am so thrilled to introduce you to my friend, Susan Schwartz. Susan and I have known each other for just about two years. And like many of us in this pandemic, We've never yet met in person, and we have developed this real and deep connection through Zoom. So Susan Schwartz is a leadership and management coach, and what she does is transform expert professionals into excellent world-class leaders. Isn't that amazing? So she takes people who are experts in their field and she helps transform them into world-class leaders who are excellent at being world-class leaders. And part of how she does this is she has a super practical viewpoint, which translates intangible leadership skills into tangible action plans than her clients use to build relationships and to effectively communicate. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Janine. And you are one of my most favorite people. 
And I do tend to be an optimist. We would not have had the pleasure of meeting had we not been working remotely and connecting across the brainwaves. It is so true. When I look back, when I have the perspective of time and distance, and I look back on things in my life that have been the most challenging, the most requiring for me to get out of my comfort zone or even hard or difficult or sad or bad, and I look back on them, there's always something that was really an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for development, an opportunity for learning something new. And I think for me, I have had the opportunity to create so many real friendships through Zoom with people that I never would have met before, like you. Well, thank you. And that is a great lead-in to the power of emotional intelligence and why Mm -hmm. it's my soapbox. It is my passion that it's a practical tool. Now, some of my colleagues, when they talk about emotional intelligence, their methodology is much more reflective, introspective type of work. Uh-huh. And my background is in technology. I grew So up what does that mean in technology? It means my first job out of college was integrating voice and data systems for AT&T on client sites. Got it. So, you know, at one point I could count all those bits in a TCP IP string before oh cybersecurity became what it did today. And I really drank the Kool-Aid and believed that technology would drive business. Mm -hmm. Like every other 27-year-old after I finished a big project, I deserved that promotion. Absolutely. Promotion that was available was in the training division. Mm. And I had an affinity for taking the complex and creating something simple out of that so people could understand When it was time to leave AT&T, I went to work for a technology training company that was a startup. And we went public and it was time to move on. I went to work with a global software company that had 20 different training divisions that were all siloed. You just imagine the duplication. And whenever some of my predecessors had discussed maybe blending resources, trying Uh to take advantage of economies of scale everybody's method was better than everybody else's. Uh-huh. That's what happens when we create silos. Exactly. At at and I was in the sales and marketing division. Mm-hmm. So that's where my sales skills, I have never worked harder in sales than I did <laughs> with this global software company, which was all internal sales. Internal uh-huh. customers right. are some of the hardest And what I learned during that experience, which was incredibly positive, and we made great strides, it was a wonderful global experience. And I realized in the middle of it all that people drove business and not technology. Technology is only a tool. And so when my time came to leave the software company and I started out on my own business, I focused on project management and leadership because that's where that difference can be made. I love that. And we all can get hooked into whatever the thing is of the moment, whenever the gadget is of the moment, whatever the 
system is of the moment. Like this is the thing that is going to transform work. And ultimately what's going to transform work is people, whether we're going to transform it for the good or the not so good. All the things that happen, happen really through the people. And so you had started by talking about emotional intelligence and I want to go back. How did that. that come in? Yeah. So I had become certified as a project management professional, mm-hmm. which is a credential that is very difficult to achieve. And I was working with one of the university's education, adult education programs, to help people learn how to pass the exam and become excellent project leaders. Uh-huh. So not only would they get hired, they would get promoted and get rehired <laughs> as different government contractors. And my specialty focus was the management and leadership uh-huh. aspect of that track. And I would have all of these software programmers and hardware engineers, and they'd be really tough. Most of them were guys, I have to say that. But there were some tough women too. So these uh-huh. tough technicians came in and they were like, why do I need to know this garbage? I'm a great coder. I can do this and that. I would end up doing a sales job after two days. I would always get on the eve after me just, well, this crap isn't so bad after all. I see why I need it. So along this time, I met a really lovely woman who introduced me to emotional intelligence. Uh And she was pretty insistent that I should definitely consider getting certified. It's the EQI 2.0 assessment, and it's a a five-level model. And when I went and took the training and started using it, what is so wonderful about this assessment is the report is all color-coded bar charts that technical people can touch and feel. (laughs) And I interpret them using a normal curve. So it is all hard data. To take a step back, because I said I was technical, I come from the telecom IT space. Right. What I have learned, some of my very best clients I'm working with are financial analysts, architect, a mechanical engineer, and a chef. And I just started working with a design engineer. Mm -hmm. And they all are very focused. They spent a lot of time in their fields being expert, absolutely expert. And that's why they got promoted. Mm -hmm. They got promoted because they knew so much. Mm -hmm. And nobody considered how do they relate to people? Mm -hmm. How do they build relationships? Mm -hmm. How do they have those tough conversations that managers have to have? They may not like people or they want to be everybody's friend. And how Uh can you be the bad manager? And so what they end up doing is failing up. Mm -hmm. On the East Coast, it's a very popular term, the Peter Principle, where Mm. you fail to the level of your incompetence. (laughs) And needless to say, there were a lot at AT AT&T, we had a lot of Peters. (laughs) Because they played the politics, they got to a certain level, and then they just didn't have the people skills to make it work. And I met someone last year who looked at me and she said, you're the anti-Peter principal. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God bless Peter. He was never trained. <laughs> so 
What's really interesting and what I've noticed, whether it's IT or the financial firm or the architects, wherever you go, when you get promoted, because you're promoted, because you're so very good at your job, Mm -hmm. when you're the manager and you don't necessarily get promoted to become a leader, you grow into being a leader. And very often, some of the strongest leaders in the company are still in the line forces. Absolutely. And when the going gets tough, they're going to look at Marge or Marshall, mm-hmm. even though they're not, they're going to like look at them and say, what do you think of this situation? Right. And even though and they may not be high up in the organization, they've got they, those skills. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so when you start to think about those technology, the experts, they're busy, busy people. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do it better, faster than they can. <laughs> so they just do it themselves. Right. So that's really interesting to me that delegation is a common problem across all professions mm-hmm. when you're making that jump. And if you start to look at what is needed so they can delegate more confidently, you need to trust people. You need to have everybody align within the organization. And then you have to be their coach, their guide, not do it for them, help them find areas. And the coolest part about being able to do that is you get to go home at five o'clock because you don't have to wait to five o'clock to do (laughs) your job. Or you can even take a vacation because the work will get done. So there's a lot of benefit. So coming back to some of these leadership skills, and we think about emotional intelligence, what makes it so tangible for me is that it's a matter, we talked about paying attention. Mm -hmm. It's about observing the situation, going back to Marge and Marshall, (laughs) taking a look at what's going on, the situation, the people, and then making a choice how you want to react to gain the constructive outcome that you want to have happen. And that's the key about emotional intelligence. You cannot change anybody else's behavior but your own. You know, when you think about it, your heart, part of emotion, it's that gut. In your gut, logically, you have those analytical skill sets, right? but something gets you thinking. And so it's that gut that you breathe, (laughs) gets it to your brain, Mm -hmm. and then you logically make a decision, and then it goes to your hands for action. And just as I began... One of the things that I love so much about Susan is, so Susan and I have both been trained in emotional intelligence. We've both been trained in exactly the same rubric, emotional intelligence, EQ 2.0i, and we come at it from different perspectives because we're different people with different backgrounds. And that's one of the things that I so enjoy about our conversations and about getting to learn one from the other. And so when you think about emotional intelligence, I mean, I know lots of people, we may have some listeners who don't really even know what emotional intelligence is. Some people think emotional intelligence is about being more emotional, which that couldn't be further than the truth of what it is. So when you think, when somebody says to you, so what is this emotional intelligence stuff? What do you say? I really say it's about paying attention, taking control over your life, because as you're paying attention, 
and you're looking at what's going on, you get to make those choices. You are the active person. Life doesn't happen to you. Your strength and emotional intelligence helps move you forward. And what I love best about the rubric that we use, and I'll go through the five levels very quickly, is that it's all about engagement. In school, those of us who are overachievers, we're all recovering now, (laughs) 94 to 100 was an A. Right. And by golly, if I got a 97, I would fight for that 99. I needed those two points. And you're like, Schwartz, my Susan, I wasn't Schwartz back then. Like, chill out. Right. And oh my gosh, that 93 was a B plus. In real life, sometimes B plus is good enough. Sometimes B plus is awesome. So when we're looking at that normal curve and you Mm -hmm. think about the apex at that top was just right in the middle, the median or the mode or whatever you want to call it, that is 100. Yep. So when you are 100, you are average. That means 50% of the people are less engaged and 50% of the people are more engaged. Yep. You're not trying to achieve to a gold medal. Right. I read an article in Harvard Business Review where they talked about you can have too much emotional intelligence. And they were talking about being too empathetic and letting people walk all over you. But see, to me, that's not emotional intelligence. (laughs) It's not like Goldilocks. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's always just right. You are who you are. And sometimes you are engaged. You have certain strengths. We all have areas where we're a little more vulnerable. Right. So we have a choice and that choice when you take the assessment and you can probably figure it out without even the assessment sometimes is you could take that gap and get training, get a mentor, get practice, Mm -hmm. or you could bring somebody onto your team who's really, really good at that. Mm -hmm. I have a dear friend who's a CPA and a project manager. She makes spreadsheets sing. (laughs) And I was on the board of our local project management association, and I had a membership role, and I had 20 different little subcategory, little groups of people, Mm -hmm. and they each had a tiny budget. The key was they didn't all spend it at the same time. (laughs) And I needed a spreadsheet that showed how much they had, when they spent it, how much they had left. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, it would have taken me 10 hours every month to do that. <laughs> I could have taken a class. But you had an ally who I you bring an ally. in. And we've known each other since junior high school. I mm-hmm. called her. I said, do you need professional development units? And her answer was, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> and I told her what I needed. She said, do I have to go to any meetings? I said, no. <laughs> she said, okay, I'll do it. But that's, I knew. I knew where my shot shortfall was. Yep. I knew what my real mission was. So why don't I spend time working on the mission and bring somebody onto my team? And that's exactly where I love that five-level model is that first, where you start out is self-perception. That's how you view the world and the world views you. Mm -hmm. That's your mission. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about it as someone being promoted into management, how do you see your role? Mm -hmm. What do the people who are promoting you expect you to do? 
And what are the people who used to be your buddies who now work for you? How do they see your role? And that's where alignment is so neat. And what I like most about emotional intelligence is I've been adapting it for different occupational categories and different job roles and exploring how it adapts to each of those levels. You're not putting, trying to fit a circle into a square peg into a circle hole. Uh It's how do you engage and how do you create that abundance? So that's that first level. Second level is Mm self-expression. How do you communicate your message? And how do you listen to understand so that, again, you're aligning the mission, you're aligning the communications that come out. And you might have somebody really good at writing and they quake when they have to stand up in front of people. And then you have people who are great extemporaneous speakers Uh and they write five paragraph emails that you read three times and you still pick up the phone to call them to find out what they want you to do. What is it that we're right? What is it that that's because they want you to call them? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so that leads right into that communication goes into the interpersonal, Mm -hmm. which is how you execute. How do you bring everybody together to achieve your end goal? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth level is stress management. So bad things just happen. They (laughs) just do. The pandemic just happened. It really And pointing fingers, somebody, I just learned this, be lame. When you blame people, that's, I can't believe how long I've been doing this. I just learned that from one of my students. But how do you manage when, because you, you've got that, holy crap, what's going on? So you have to manage your stress. When bad things happen, everybody looks to the leader to see how they should be reacting. Right. And if the leader is jumping off (laughs) jumping ship, (laughs) they're going to jump too. And so then you as the leader need to recognize how each of your staff handles stress. Mm -hmm. So you can lead them and keep them calm. And bad things happen in their stress and good things happen in their stress. I mean, sort of regardless of how things are going, we're going to have stress. And so then how do we manage it? Right. And once you get it managed, it's kind of that rolling seas, they kind of calm. And now you have to move forward because whether it's a good stress or a bad stress, your trajectory is going to change. Yep. So how do you make those decisions on which direction your journey is going to take? Mm -hmm. And there's impulse control, reality testing, problem solving skills. Yep. And I mentioned about looking at this from an occupational perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me to look at an assessment, you know, a report that had been a C-level person had completed. And they were looking at it and they were very confused because their top three areas were communication-based, self-perception. It was all about crafting the message, creating inspirational messages. And they're least engaged. It wasn't terribly far down on the curve. It was still towards the middle. Yep. Was problem solving, mm-hmm. reality testing, mm-hmm. oh, and stress, managing mm-hmm. stress. And she didn't understand. She thought as a leader, they should all be over on the fully engaged side. Uh-huh. And so we were looking at it and I said, well, 
this is a C-level person. I didn't know anything more than they were C-level. Yep. I said, their job is to inspire people. They are a visionary, right? They are Be a visionary, be strategic, and then executing may not be their strongest suit. Yep. That's why they have a team. (laughs) But that's what you do. You bring people onto your team. Do you expect the chief marketing officer to oversee the digital ad campaign? (laughs) So this is when you're hiring people It's how do you hire the right people for the right job Right. and these traits. So I was working with a really high-performing customer service person Mm -hmm. and a very high-performing financial analyst Mm -hmm. who was a total introvert. (laughs) So like we expected, a lot of his communication capabilities were less engaged and we Mm -hmm. could work on that. His highest engaged trait was impulse control. And for the customer service rep, who is much more people focused and she was sort of centered around the average part of the curve, her most engaged trait was also impulse control. Isn't that fascinating? So if you think about that, the financial analyst, you don't want them jumping to just buy anything. Right or recommend something, money's important and other people's money, very important. Right. And then the customer service rep has to be really adept at letting people yell at them and not taking it personally. Mm -hmm. So isn't that interesting that two very different jobs, two very different personality types all share the same strengths as their number one strengths? I love that. And part of what I love about it is when we are thinking about emotional intelligence and as well as, because they are not the same thing, as well as sort of the soft skills that people need in order to be able to succeed in today's world, there have been so many shifts. It used to be that if I went to see my accountant, I did not expect them to be able to really have a super personable conversation with me and to really get to know me and understand about what I want to create in my life. That wasn't their function. But now that job, that whole industry is totally changing in part because of the role of AI and in part because of the role of automation. So much is becoming rote that really their job is becoming much more consultative. And so they are needing, it's a whole industry that's needing to develop more emotional intelligence, new soft skills. And I hate that term soft skills, but that's what most- I prefer professional skills. There you go. Yeah, I mean, because they are the skills that anyone needs in order to really become a true professional and a true expert in their arena is the ability to self-reflect, to communicate well, to make good decisions, to manage stress, all of the things in the pillars of emotional intelligence. And part of what's fascinating to me is sort of at this moment in time and through the pandemic, and as we're looking at the future of work, there's so many new opportunities to be thinking about the role of these skills in the development of managers. 
which for a long time wasn't something that people thought about. And, you know, it has a financial impact also. Mm -hmm. Both ends of the spectrum. When I first got involved, one of my first workshops, I was back on the East Coast, federal government subcontractor. I had the president of a startup government IT subcontracting firm come to the course. And he was very engaged, very involved, a very nice man. And I saw him a couple months later at an industry event. And he saw me said, Susan, your course was my favorite course in that whole program. I was like, whoa, well, thank you. I'm, I'm not fishing, but could you tell me why? And what he shared was the workshop was Wednesday, Thursday, and he was planning to go in Friday and fire his admin assistant. Ooh. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did she do? Yeah. And he said, well, she wasn't doing anything illegal or really awful. Mm-hmm. She just didn't get the urgency. Mm. This is a federal government IT startup. Mm-hmm. Everything is urgent. Everything is urgent. So what he told me is that he learned that different people handle stress differently. Mm. And that urgency to him meant stress management. Mm-hmm. So this is where paying attention is so important. He decided he could give her a week. Business would not be terrible. Nothing would happen right. if he waited one week to fire her. Mm-hmm. So in that week, he started to watch and he paid attention. And what he realized is when he got the bad news, when bad things happened, his tendency was to wave his arms and shout and slam down the phone. And this woman didn't follow his lead, did not model. <laughs> she forgot to wave her hands around and shout and slam. But what the phone. she did is she very attuned, an amazing admin. Uh huh. She would hear what the challenge was. Uh huh. She would very calmly go back to her desk, figure out who could fix it, and initiate the phone call before he stopped yelling. Then he would come over and tell her what to do. And she was just way too polite to say, I've already done it. I've already done that. Yep. (laughs) He just thought that was not a smart thing to do for your manager. Right. So what he told me when he realized the value that she brought to the organization, Mm -hmm. he said, instead of firing her, he gave her a raise. (laughs) I love it. That's so great. And part of what I love is that he realized that just because somebody isn't doing things the way that you would do them, just because someone is not responding in the way that you would respond, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with what they're doing. And if we can, when we can take a minute, breathe, check ourselves, listen, notice, pay attention, we can then tune into, okay, so outside of my little fishbowl, outside of my little panic button, what's actually going on in the world? It's taking a look through different lenses, Yep. through different perspectives. And that's where I come back. It's watching behaviors and making choices and watching behaviors because somebody might be different than you are. Just because you have a title doesn't mean you're perfect. <laughs> right? That's goodness knows. Right. And it really paying attention 
to what you have control over. Yeah. Because if bad things are going to happen and you can't make them right, then you need to go into the mode of mitigating. Okay, that bad thing has happened. How is it affecting our team? How can our team make the best of this bad situation? And one of the things that I love about emotional intelligence is that it helps us figure out how to communicate more effectively. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that has been so transformative and that has helped some organizations really rise to the challenge in this time is figuring out not necessarily how to over-communicate, but certainly how to communicate differently. And so organizations that looking back at March of 2020, that were able to say, you know what, this is new. And I don't know about you, but I've never lived through a pandemic before. And so I actually am not sure what we're going to do about this, but we're going to figure it out and we're going to figure it out together and we're all going to be okay. And the organizations whose leadership had both the smarts and the humility to say, honestly, fuck if I know. I don't know. I have no idea what we're going to do about this. And what these leaders did is they said, and I trust you. I know you're competent and I know you can help me. And we are going to figure it out together. And there's going to be things that I'm going to figure out. And there's going to be things that you're going to figure out. And there's going to be things that we think we have figured it out. And then we're going to realize we were wrong. You or me or all of us. And we're going to get through it together. And learning that vulnerability is actually a strength. Learning that it's okay to say, I don't know when we don't know, and still communicating, but I got it. And we're going to get there together. It's continuing to communicate that leadership that people are looking to in times of challenge, but doing it with the humility and the vulnerability. And those are all emotional intelligence skills. And recognizing the strengths of your team members, Mm-hmm. And communicating your trust, your admiration, and even your gratitude. Ah. Somebody said, well, they're just doing their job. Why should I thank them? <laughs> well, well because... thank God they're here doing their job. And for many, many people, like, yes, the paycheck is important. I can't put food on the table and I can't pay my rent without the paycheck. And what actually motivates me to do a good job is really feeling connected to the purpose of what we're up to and being seen for the work and the contribution that I'm making. So please appreciate your people, people. (laughs) I think it comes down to respect Mm -hmm. because that's exactly what you were saying, recognizing them, knowing that you appreciate them and knowing that they're important. I was just looking at some statistics for a different project that I'm working on. And I thought you'd appreciate this. When there's turnover, just like you said, people leave companies because they're not respected. They don't feel valued. Right. And they were identifying how much like an entry level person that makes eight, obviously they make more than $8 an hour now, but a year ago, it was $8 an hour. When that person left the company, it would cost $5,500 to replace them. 
Now, wow. when you think about that, oh, they're just an $8 an hour. So if we go for $15, then double that. It's going to cost $10,000 to replace a $15 an hour worker. When you get to that mid-level, it's 150%. Wow. And if we're looking at senior level, C-level directors, it is 400% of their salary. Wow. Just to replace them. Just to replace them. That's what turnover costs. And that's the search fees and the onboarding and the culture and whatever training you need to have. Getting them up to speed. But you've also lost all of the institutional knowledge that went away with that person. So it's probably even more than 400%. And even more. And if, as you were staffing your organization and you were modeling emotionally, I like to say emotionally intelligent behavior, (laughs) you're going to have less turnover. Yep. You are going to have more people stay and you will be known. Your company is going to be a good place to work. Yep. And a lot of those good places to work, the stock prices are going up now. (laughs) So There's a direct relationship between a good place to work, a place with highly emotionally intelligent people, with high staff retention, with a strong mission, vision, values that plays down into the work of every person in the organization, with strong psychological safety, one of my other favorite things to talk about. Those things directly correlate to bottom line, to top line profits, to bottom line profitability, to stock prices, to being able to retain your top talent and being able to recruit top talent into your organization. This emotional intelligence stuff, people, it just matters. (laughs) Oh, it matters. I mentioned I grew up in the technical IT world Mm -hmm. and I was one of those people I'm working with now. Believe me. (laughs) Somebody gave me a bop on the head. (laughs) Um, And when you say first hear emotional intelligence, when it first became a thing in the 1990s, we were like, emotions emotions (laughs) belong in the office. That's right. You got to hit the ladies room before you burst into tears. That was emotions. Yep. And so when people thought of emotional intelligence, it was woo woo. Right. No, it's a term in the technical geeks dictionary. Woo woo. It's practical. It is so practical. And I did a report a number of years ago and was looking at all the different kinds of organizations from the Four Seasons Hotel to the NFL to the Navy SEALs to the Southwest Airlines, just sort of across many different kinds of industries, the different kinds of organizations that are paying attention to emotional intelligence and that are really starting to build this in to how their organizations work because they've realized it actually is a big part of what makes organizations work. So we need to start wrapping it up here. Susan, this has been great. If you have one, you don't have to, but if you have one, is there one last thing that you would love to leave with people, one last gift or pearl of wisdom that you would love to share? I think what sums up our conversation as we were talking about humility and vulnerability Mm. is leadership is not a solo sport. 
<laughs> you cannot lead a team of one. And so the first steps, as the title of this podcast starts out, it's not, you don't have to take an assessment. You don't have to, it's always nice to hire a coach. You don't need to wait for all of this. You can start after we finish, you hang up our Zoom session today. You can start to practice by paying attention, by looking at the world around you, by recognizing that you are not the center of your bubble <laughs> and that although you have great expertise, perhaps somebody else might have a different viewpoint, a different perspective that you should listen to and listen to understand and not to respond. Mm. And by listening, you might be right. You might be very, very right, but you'll hear where that communication gap is, mm -hmm. how you're explaining it. Your intention is not being heard by them. So taking that pause and listening and paying attention to what they're saying and their perspective will help you close that gap and create that truly functional workplace that people enjoy coming to more than 50% of the time. <laughs> this is where we spend the majority of our lives in the world of work. And so it is why my mission is to make the world of work one in which everyone can thrive. And so Susan, thank you so much for being here with me today for the part that you play day to day in helping make the world of work one in which people can thrive. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm beginning